how many of you really understand the potential that is yours as a believer by being connected to the life of the vine? You know, soon we're going to be preparing for Easter, and we're going to be reminded again of this incredible truth that we're loved and cared for by a God who works best in graveyards. Graveyards of hopelessness and defeat and dead dreams. That Jesus isn't alive today simply to guarantee us eternal life. He's alive to remind us that that resurrection power that brought him out of the grave is operative in your life in the situation that looks possibly impossible to you today. And it's causing you distress and to be double-minded between whether God really cares and whether he doesn't care about you. I want to share some scripture and I hope you just won't check out. These are promises from God, and, and this really describes specifically the life that comes to us from the vine. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weaknesses, says Paul, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The world doesn't understand that. Christians do. It's in our times of weakness that we plug into the power of Christ. Otherwise, we wouldn't need it. And then he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. That's what Jesus wants, to give you a power down deep so you can withstand the pressures from outside. And then he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might be, become partakers of the divine nature. As incredible as it might seem, the life of Jesus resurrected that Easter morning is available to enter you and me today to give us a divine resource with which to cope. And then one more, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, to be tested beyond what you're able. But with that temptation or testing will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. This is all about power. Chuck Swindoll calls this special power of the Christian the ability to persevere, to hang in. It's an extra reservoir that's more than a match for the stuff that life throws at us. I like that, the way he puts it. This power from the vine to cope, to overcome, to endure, to win, when life throws its stuff at us, that's what this text is about. But we have to choose to appropriate it. So that leads us to a second truth. Jesus tells us that once we begin bearing fruit, we're going to get pruned. He, listen, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. If you think logically, your first reaction to this would be, God, that isn't fair. But I, I did some research about pruning of grapevines, and it helps me understand what Jesus is talking about here because he is referring to a grapevine. A vintner said that every year on grapevines, uh, the, the sucker shoots come out. These sucker shoots bear no fruit whatsoever, but they drain the energy of the vine, so they have to be excised. And then Doug was talking to a vintner and learned something else, that the branches themselves need to be pruned because if not, they have a tendency to want to bear more fruit than they're support, supposed to bear. So they have to be pruned back or the fruit will be kind of small and it'll be drained. A branch is, has to be geared to just the energy the vine wants to give it. If it goes beyond that, it's going to work against itself. Now here's a beautiful analogy. is Jesus is telling us 
that when we begin to bear the fruit of peace and joy and patience and indomitable trust during hard times, and we expect a pat on the back and, and, and kind of a good word from God, instead, he says things won't get easier, they might get tougher. Why? Because God loves you so much that he wants to get rid of all the sucker shoots and he wants to trim your calendars and your energy priorities so that you will be totally focused on the one thing you're here for, to draw the life of the vine and to bear the fruit that God wants you to bear. And he wants to get rid of anything else that's draining that focus in your life. Now, I believe this is a difficult fact for many Christians to understand, modern Christians. And here it is. Our Lord's primary agenda for each of us is not to make us happy. That's not why he came. He didn't come to make life easier. His agenda is to do whatever is necessary in the life of the believer to mold us into that person God wants us to be forever. The reason that's not easy for us as Americans, we're into instant gratification. We're into uh, virtual reality, which means that we just want it right now and thoughts of heaven and the future and what we're going to be forever, it just doesn't hit us too deeply today. But Jesus hasn't changed his mind. Um, I think one of the toughest things in my own life, and maybe in yours, is to understand for real that Jesus didn't come to make us happy and answer our wish list and put a protective um umbrella over our lives. He didn't come to make life easier. Because if he did, he'd be nothing more than a divine genie that we rub to get what we want. He would cater to our selfishness. We'd become totally ego-centered. No, quite the opposite. And this is where I think our church family is in terms of learning. I've shared with you an ongoing odyssey about Bobby Brenzel, my former secretary. Just for those of you who don't know the story, she has, is a, has kidney failure. She's been through a transplant a rejection of that kidney. She's on continued dialysis and her life isn't very easy right now. And she just called me this week to tell me now the doctors have found two tumors in her. And I wanted to say, God, hasn't she had enough? Hasn't she had enough pruning? And I was amazed at her response. She said, you know, Walt, I've been reading the Psalms all my life. And just since I heard this recent news, those psalms, rather than just being psalms, have become personal messages from God to me, and they've brought incredible comfort. And I'm learning something. She says, this disease has been in the process, one by one, of pruning everything else out of my life but Jesus. She used to be an avid tennis player and all this kind of stuff. And she says, the one good thing out of this whole mess is that I'm intimate with God. I know Jesus now in a way I never knew him. And those of us who know Bobby knows she is a very different woman now than she was when she worked here. Some call her a, full of hero, a hero and full of courage and faith, and she says, I don't think I'm a hero, but I do know God more intimately. And I think this woman is telling us a very important fact from this story, and that is, namely, if you're on the road where God wants you to go and you're growing in your faith, chances are he's going to prune you. And you shouldn't take that as discouragement or as punishment, but as kind of a reward that God says, gee, you're doing so well, I'm, we're going to go all the way, and I want to take you to all that God had in mind when he first thought of you, before you were even born. And the only way we get there, folks, is not through life being easier, not through having your wish list granted. You get there through blood, sweat, and tears and pain. 
And I don't mean to be a downer. It's just that's the way it is. We don't grow spiritually. We don't bear spiritual fruit without testing and burning and fire. And otherwise we wouldn't need God and you wouldn't be here. Well, our elders were discussing this last Tuesday, this pruning process, and one said, well, you know, I can handle the pruning process because I know and I trust the one who's holding the shears. I understand that. It's sort of like a parent disciplining a child saying, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. Someday you'll understand, and we don't believe that. But you know, as you get older, you do, because you really did understand they uh, disciplined us for our, our, our best. And then another elder said that pruning in his life is related not to what happens, but to what doesn't happen. After waiting and praying for something for so long in his life, the waiting is the pruning. And that waiting draws him into total dependence upon God. And I believe that waiting is one of the toughest things God asks us to do. But like my friend Bobby, all of us have a choice when it comes to how we're going to respond to pruning in our lives. Pruning can harden or it can soften us. It can make us miserable or expectant of what God's going to do with the disappointment and pain that has just happened. In fact, our response to pruning has everything to do with whether or not we're going to spend our years in white-knuckled, grim-faced living, or we're going to find that joy that we sang about earlier, that joy in all circumstances that James told us about that the world out there doesn't understand. Namely, count it all joy when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. I need to tell you, or maybe I don't because you already know, life seldom unfolds according to our plan and our timing. One thing is certain, growth in the fruit of the Spirit will, will not happen when things are tranquil, going easy, when everything's going your way. Fruit will appear in your life when you're tested to the limit. And so just before we close, I want to make a comment about remaining or abiding in the vine because that's how we cope in hard times. One elder gave it a beautiful description of what his father, who was a pastor, told him about abiding in Jesus. When we abide somewhere, it's like a home. Home is where we live, get our identity, our food, our rest, our love, healing for our wounds. And when we abide in Jesus, we find these treasures of his life in us, bringing about the fruits of the Spirit. He nourishes us. He gives us rest. He gives us our identity. But you see, learning to abide or remain is a choice. It's a choice to do those things, give priority to those things that bring us close to Jesus, like coming to worship on a Sunday morning. Or, as I've told you a hundred times, maintaining the habit of frequent prayer, where you bring everything to God, every situation, because you believe He's interested, and when you pray, you believe something's going to happen, so it isn't all on your shoulder. Abiding in Jesus is choosing to view every challenge from the perspective that we're loved by an all-powerful God and nothing's happening that hasn't first passed through His loving, tender, caring fingers. Now, I believe Jesus is inviting us in this text to come to the highest degree of Christian growth. And maybe some of us are ready in this church. It's this. To that point where we no longer use Jesus simply as a divine resource to get what we want. Because that's basically where most of us begin in Christianity. Jesus is just a means to prolong and propagate our selfishness. No, it's the next step where we grow to where we want a relationship with Jesus more than we want his blessings. 
In fact, where we understand the greatest blessing is not getting what we want, but getting close to him. That's what Bobby's dis discovered in her stress. And when we reach this stage of mature faith, we're no longer viewing hard times as tragedies and God's punishment. They're pruning times that are drawing us to the most important treasure in this universe. That's Jesus himself. And he's the one we're going to spend all eternity with. And we're going to lose everything else we want today anyway. So what's the challenge? Stay connected to the vine. I want every one of us to take the name Christian, to be able to look back on our lives and not, I don't want them to be a, a, a mini-series of survival stories, but we should have adventures in faith to share with people who want to ask, what difference does Jesus make in your life? One of our elders made a comment when visiting the wine country recently. It was after a rainstorm. The vineyards were flooded, and it occurred to him that God is still changing water into wine even today. You see... And then I thought further, it's occurring to me that in the storms that might be striking you right now, and you might be flooded up to your kneecaps, God can do that same miracle. He can turn a lifestyle of just surviving into the wine of abundant living. That's what I'm encouraging you to do today. Stay connected to the vine. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, give us the wisdom to give you a priority. We try to do it ourselves. We collapse under the load. When will we learn? Teach us today, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.